Welcome back to another Fact Podcast. This is Dr. Fred Clary, founder of Functional Analysis Chiropractic Technique. And in today's episode, this is your personal champion school, part two. We're going to follow up uh, what we talked about in part one, where we kind of introduced the fact that uh, the Russians, the Bulgarians, the Turks, the Greeks, a lot of the Balkan states in the the old uh, Iron Curtain, those countries would take hundreds or thousands of athletes run them through different scientific studies. And basically, they're just guinea pigs. We'll try this with this group of 100. We'll try this with this group of 100. Sometimes wrecking the kids, sometimes not. And over less than a decade, 15 years, they figured out the best times to start training a athlete for swimming, which is very early, obviously. Um, Weightlifting. tracking field, volleyball, you name it, they went through all these studies to figure out what was the best to make these athletes the best. And we learned a lot from that. We learned that, you know, the human body is not a robot. You can't continually add stress to the system and not expect it to break down. What the human body needs, and this goes for everything in life, for those listening, and I don't want to learn anything about sports and athletics, and I kind of just laugh, and it's like, well, sports and athletics are high-functioning physiology. Sports and athletics are high-functioning physiology. Physiology is how the function of your biology, how things work, how your parts work. They work together and interact with the internal and external environment, external being life outside you. So you may hate all sports, but if you're tired going to your job, if you're tired in your relationship with your spouse, it's a pro- it, that is a problem of physiology. That is a pathology of physiology. That is pathophysiology. So by looking at sports, look at the people who physically have better eye-hand coordination, strength, endurance, speed than the average person. We can study how we, those people train their nervous system their central and peripheral nervous system, the wires in the computer that makes it make us move, breathe, think, function. And if we can train that and make that healthier and make that more efficient, no matter what you do in life can become more efficient. There are a lot of moms out there pulling their hair out. They're so tired because they have three kids. They're chasing them around doing all that. And I said, well, if you had 15 minutes of exercise, and even their GP medical doctors are telling this, at 15, 20 minutes of exercise, within eh, three to six months, you're going to start getting more energy. And by the end of the year, you're going to be able to do all those tasks with more energy, more happiness, and not be exhausted. Well, I don't have time for 15 minutes. You don't have time not to do it. So I guess we're going to have to say this in every podcast, but... By training your physiology, just to to make yourself a little better, whether you're an accountant, you're a plumber, whether you're a scientist, whether you're an engineer, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a surgeon or a doctor or someone who wants to do sports, by treating yourself like an athlete, no matter if you want that or not, you will be better. If you're physically stronger and better, you will be a better you know, hairstylist, you will be a better taxi cab driver. So a better physiology, a better machine always gives you a better output. So continuing on, 
So what those Russians and those Bulgarians all found out is that our bodies do not constantly adapt. They need periods of what we call deload. And deload is a buzzword. And I love seeing a millennial say the word deload and they have no idea where that came from. But it you have to have a time of rest and recovery so the body's neurology and physiology, the muscles, the tendons, the ligaments can catch up. So what we ha- what the Russians found out is little mini cycles. Or what they would use is they would control maximum effort. So controlling maximum effort, either by percentages, I'm only going to do 90% of what I could probably do today. By controlling that, you give enough stimulation to the body, to the nervous system, to the muscles and tendons. You give enough sports-specific training. You're actually doing the lift or close to the lift or the activity that you're doing. But you're not, you're not wrecking the system and overwhelming it. So you get something called overtraining. Now, I know that's been out there for many years and it's been credited to many people. But let, let's just say that I've heard it from so many sources that there is no such thing as overtraining. I'll say it again. There is no such thing as overtraining. There's just under recovery. What that means is that, you know, I know some people can train four days a week, say in the weight room, but they don't recover. They absolutely do not recover. That's because they go home and they're drinking beer and eating Twinkies and have a terrible diet and don't get enough sleep. Someone like that will have trouble recovering on one hard session in the gym once a week. Likewise, the Russians, whose only job, or the Soviets, I should say, their only job was to work out. They could work out for three, four, five hours a day, six hours a day, because they had perfect food, perfect nutrition, perfect sleep. They were getting massage and whirlpools and every nutritional supplement. And yes, they probably were doing drugs too. They were taking everything, doing everything to recover. So the next day when they got into the gym, they could go again and go again and go again. Now, that doesn't make sense for, you know, the United States. That doesn't make sense the way we live. A lot of us have nine to five jobs. We work 40 to 60 hours a week. Don't get enough sleep because we're chasing kids. We're stressed out because we have bills to pay, unlike professional athletes. So we don't get the recovery. That has to be factored into your training. And I'll say it again, your ability to recover, and I'm not just talking your genetic or physical ability, that's separate. Your external environment, we'll we'll deal with internal environment probably in a whole podcast, but your external environment. Um, For example, if you have a a busy day-to-day, stressful day-to-day, if you work on Wall Street, you don't recover as fast as someone who, I don't know, works in a library. I know that's two extremes, but think of the people who work at Wall Street and the stress they're under and what they go through every day, just moving numbers, just placing orders for these stocks and the stress of knowing they have hundreds of clients that if they screw up and the client loses millions, it's their butt. Well, think about someone who works in a library. Their capacity for stress, I mean, I mean, I'd fall asleep sitting there, you know, going through things like that at a library. And that's not to slam librarians. We need them. But it's a different job. Think about uh, a police officer. The stress they're under, especially in a busy city that has a lot of crime, the stress they're under versus someone who, 
you know, is a cop in Mayberry, USA, small town. Their biggest problem is the local drunk. And so they're not as stressed as a police officer, say, in Baltimore or St. Paul. So what does that mean? Your external environment, you have to be realist. You have to be real. I know many of my training partners don't really wrap their head around this. They have trouble with this. And a lot of humans have trouble with this. It's being real that, okay, I really don't get enough sleep. I really don't get enough good nutrition. I really have a lot of stress going on in my life. I, you know, I, it's cold here in Minnesota. That, you know, that's a tough thing to deal with. Or it's too hot here in Florida. That's a tough thing to deal with. All those factors have to be in. And that's where your personal genetics go in. There's some people that can go off of eight hours sleep. There's some people that can go off of, you know, four hours sleep. There's some people that need 10. And that's just not my teenage daughters. There's some people that need more sleep. And that's an internal environment issue. If you think about the external environment, if you know you're moving, if you know that, you know, you're financially under under the screw if you know that there's a lot of chaos going on at your job and your employment and you have four teenage daughters like me and you're pulling your hair out um just trying to keep the your nose above water as uh, my dad used to say well guess what you have a different recovery capacity knowing your recovery capacity is the secret to athletic performance. End of story. Knowing your, your recovery capacity is your secret to being a great champion. Understanding what you need. So if, say, you have a messy house and you're OCD and you need to clean, you better clean it because that extra stress releases a hormone in your body called cortisol. Cortisol is anti anabolic it's catabolic which means it tears down ligaments muscles tissues it prevents healing large doses of cortisol prevent healing it actually will maintain inflammation in your system can lead to heart attacks strokes we already have all those studies mainstream medicine has all the studies already done it's over there's no debate so our big battle with recovering is getting our cortisol levels down getting our stress levels down and getting, of course, the, the right nutrition to heal from each workout to workout. That being said, what the Russians did is they put some deload or recovery into it. Now, the Russians, they trained all the time, but they would cycle. So they would have, you're doing 80% of a maximum effort for one workout and then 85, then 90. You're never going 100 you would always stay just below. And they would increase the amount of effort by increasing work volume. For example, eight sets or 10 sets of singles at 85 or 90%. Meaning if you could bench 400, you're only going about 350, but you're doing it over and over and over and over again. Your nervous system gets the stimulation, your muscles and tendons get the stimulation, and you're not overwhelming the system. Here's the secret again. Can you handle even that much work? When I'm working with my clients, my biggest, biggest, biggest challenge since the 1980s, 
I probably started training people when I was 18. Um, I was deadlifting around 800 pounds at 18, 19, and had a, a lot of clients, a lot of college, middle age. Some people were um, top-end uh, powerlifters and bodybuilders. Some people just looking to get strong for football or track and field or baseball. So when I was in undergrad uh, college at University of Maryland, Baltimore County, um, had a little side personal training business. And there was not many personal trainers in you know, 1986, 1987. Um, so I was kind of like, there's like maybe three of us in our gym. And uh, so we kind of was like starting a new field. We just, we didn't call ourselves personal trainers. We just called ourselves coaches. And, um, it, you know, back then it was even good money. Um, but, and we worked hard at working up routines and figuring out. But my biggest challenge as a coach or personal trainer was horse collaring these, these people and trying to get them not to push it too hard when they had poor recovery. I always worked on the recovery end of things. How are you feeling today? How much sleep did you get? You know, simple questions, 10 seconds of questions. How much sleep did you get? How are you feeling today? You've been sick. You know, you know, are you feeling strong? Very much the Bulgarian kind of system, seeing where you are that day. And that's how we set that, that routine. Even though I would have spent hours on my legal pad, you know, this is before laptops and Excel, on my legal pad and my, my Texas instrument calculator. How many people remember those from the 80s? We had to push down hard to get the button to click. Well, it, it, was, it was amazing how much those cost too. I would figure out their routine. I would throw that out the window if they weren't recovered. It all looks good on paper. But what, ha what you really have to do is be ever to intuitively change your routine the day of. So let me give an example. So grab your piece of paper if you want to write this down. Yes, we'll get to video um, blogs and podcasts much later, but I just want to get some of this information out there. And it's all out there on the web. So you, there's so much information. There's also a lot of disinformation. But say you were going to do a 12-week peaking routine. So what you would usually do is pick two, two or three months. We'll do three months in this example to peak. If you're lifting weights, let's just stick with weightlifting, but we can do, apply this to anything. Yes, you can apply this to volleyball skills and drills. You absolutely. So on the first week, you would do approximately 85% of your maximum. Now, whether you do a single or double, I don't care. Um, I've heard podcasts. I've read things where you got to do doubles. You got to do singles. I just want that weight physically on your body so you get used to it. In the, in the system I use, I do a lot of singles, mainly singles. Um, a lot of people say, well, why is that? Because I have no problem getting under a heavy weight. And if you add 30 or 40 pounds in a meat, I'll be okay because I'm used to handling heavy weight for one. Not two, not three, not five. And yes, doing three reps or five reps or 10 reps will condition you. Will strengthen the muscles, the tendons, the ligaments. Will build endurance. But if you're just trying to get strong lower repetitions with better form will lead to better progress and better results in the contest or the meet. So I always, even, even people that just want to get stronger, I keep them under five reps. We may do a lot of volume with a little rest in between, but we keep them under that because I want them to handle moderately heavy weight. So for the first week, we're at 85%. The next week, 87. 
week three and four is 90%. Then we deload a little bit. And it's not a big deload. It's not 50%, 60%, 70%. It's back to 85%. That fifth week is key. Why, Fred, are we going backwards? Because your body needs that little rest. Now, what happens a lot of times if in the first week you only did a single or double with that 85% load on week five, sometimes you get an extra rep and you should, and that's the goal. So again, week one's 85%, week two's 87, week three and four is 90, week five is back to 85, but you usually get an extra rep or an extra set. Then you're back to 90 again in week six and seven. And again, you're adding an extra rep. If you're only doing singles or doubles, you may get the three this time. You may do two or three extra sets. Eight, you're back to 92. So again, week one is 85. Week two is 87. Week three and four is 90%. Week five, we go back to 85. Add uh, another rep to your sets add a few more sets week six and seven are 90 again again add an extra set add an extra rep week eight is 92 percent week nine is 95 percent week 10 is 97 and week 11 is a hundred percent now a hundred percent that's the same weight i did this routine is set up on your goal so 100 percent of your goal it's a little different i've seen a lot of russian routines where they're their goal in 12 weeks will be 102%, which makes sense. They're trying to move up their PR. This routine is set on your what you want to do. If you're benching 400, you can add 2 to 5% in, you know, say 12 weeks of hard training. So that's what this one's set up for. So it's a little different than what's out there. But again, you want to continually add a set or reps to or weight to all, everything. Um, and then, of course, you do more assistance work. Assistance work is like the bodybuilding or other exercise besides your prime lifts. But I wanted to see the percentages and get an idea that, you know, we ride pretty high between 85 and 100%. But, you know, if you only can get a single, that's fine. If you only can get a double that day, that's fine. We add a little in intuition a little bulgarian into it what's your perceived day if all you can get is that one number and you have to shut it down for the entire day that's fine and of course if you're sick and you're not feeling well don't even go in the gym or if you go in the gym take a 50 percent day and just go in play around with the weights and get the heck out spot your other training partners and get the hell out of there now how does this apply to something maybe like volleyball or swimming or something where you're not doing weights again it's the percentages if the heaviest training load you can imagine, heaviest workout, that would be your heavy, that would be 100%. You know, how many times, how many yards are you doing? How many meters are you doing of training? How many speed sprints if you're a swimmer? How many yards are you doing if you're a swimmer? If you're a volleyball, how many, you know, bump sets are you doing? You know, how many skill drills are you doing? Well, you start off. You know, if your big tournament is, you know, in a few months, you start off with 80%. Then you ramp it up to 85, then 87, then 90. Then you go back a little bit and maybe add some more drills in. But that's your intensity. So these percentages are based on intensity, what to add. Then we go back and you're always doing, if you're lifting weights, more assistance work, bodybuilding work, 
You know, you can use a conjugate method like Westside where instead of doing wide, you know, uh, regular bench press, you do wide grip, you do narrow grip. Uh, I know Bill Kazmaier back in the 80s before there was anything such, th such thing as conjugate for his bench press. And he had the best bench press in the land back in the uh, early 80s. He, uh, he would do wide grip, narrow grip, medium grip bench press. He would just vary everything. That's conjugate. Um, he didn't have bands or chains to add onto him, but you can do that too. You can do boards too, because Bill Kazmaier did lockouts too. Well, you know, out of a rack. Well, you can use a board. It makes it a little simpler than trying to set up in a rack. A lot safer too, if, you know, it, the setups and safer on your body. You're not slamming down into metal, slamming down into wood in your own body. So long story short, when you're looking at setting up, you know, a cycle or tr we call these cycles, training cycle for your champion school, for trying to move on, you want to vary and in a cyclic manner, vary your intensity of your workouts. Now, here's the thing. You go to say you're training for soccer your soccer workouts aren't 100% all the time. And what most coaches do is when the whole team is fatigued, usually after the third or fourth workout, he'll bring it down a notch because people are falling down, throwing up, and they're, they're getting overtrained. Their physiology is not matching its output. And when, when your physiology can't match the desired output, you have breakdown, and that's overtraining. And it has to do with everything in life, including hearts and strokes and cancer, everything. You want to match your, the, the stress on the system with your physiological capacity, what you can handle. Well, what you do is just have to cycle it. Some of your top coaches now in football, it's all, they, they're taking all this Soviet information and they figured it out. Now they have a lot of journals out there saying, oh, do this, do this. This is the best way to train football. And I kind of giggle because it's all based on the same Soviet basic, basic research from the 1950s and 60s. So what does that mean? You cycle it. So they say the, the easy workouts would be Monday after the game. If you're a football team, Tuesday, you ramp up. Wednesday is your hardest one. Thursday, you're doing skill drills. And by Friday and Saturday, you're just doing walkthroughs. And that cycle, cyclic nature matches the physiology of the human body. And that's what you want to do. Whatever routine you set up, it has to match your body, what works for you. And that's why it takes a long time to go through different routines, different workouts to find out what's perfect for you. And sometimes you have to listen to your coach. And sometimes you have to listen to your body and have good communication skills with your coach and let them know what's not working. If you're not telling your coach you're tired, you're sore, everything hurts, and they just don't think you're, you know, being weak-willed, well, you, you can say, no, I'm doing all the work. I'm just falling apart. I, and I'm eating the protein. Okay, let's change our numbers. Let's change what we're doing and see if that'll move you forward. One thing to remember you don't become a champion by wrecking yourself. You become a champion by small incremental gains, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. There are those few genetic freaks. They can train hard all the time and they don't seem to get hurt.
there are those genetic freaks who can take, you know, six months off in the off season and they're on the Mr. Olympia stage peaked in only six months. There are those, but that's not the usual. Do not set your routine up according to what the statistical outliers are doing. Set your life up according to what works for you. And the only way to do that is experiment with many routines. How many, Fred? I know it took me five or six different training cycles, eight weeks in length, 12 weeks in length. It took me that many training cycles to figure out at a very young age what worked. And everything changed as, as I grew older, as my internal and external environment changed. When I remember in 1988 when I went to the Junior Nationals in Chicago. And that was more like an open national. It wasn't an age group. It was like the step before the Senior Nationals. I remember when I went to that one, I was, you know, living away from home. I was going to college. I working three jobs, um, trying to maintain my rented house, my my chemistry, biology, all my science, my calculus, stressed out that way and barely making it into a one powerlifting gym. I, instead of driving 15 minutes, I had to drive an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half to get to the gym. And I would do all my squat bench and deadlift on the same day because I had spotters there and there was a group there. And then I would go to a local yokel um, small health spa um, in the 1980s. A health club back then was, you know, basically saunas, racquetballs, and they would have some weights in the, the universal rack in the corner and try to do some bodybuilding and assistance work one day a week. Now that's not going to get you to national champion. So I remember that's all I could put together. And I trained that way and went to the nationals and I did okay considering. I had some injuries too. As opposed to the year before when I set all these world records in 87, you know, I I had a gym and a team to train with. I trained with them twice a week and I got to the gym at the at the university twice a week to do other things. So my bench squat and deadlift were trained under the eyes of three or four coaches. Um, had three or four hours to get through all my stuff there. And then the other days a week I would go into to school early, like 6 a.m. and hit a half hour session in the weight room there before my classes. You know, something to think about. Um, you know, what what is your reality? So set up your routine according to your reality and you will become a champion. We're, and hopefully we'll do a part three. We'll do an internal environment. So look for that. So thank you for listening. This has been another Fact Podcast.